1: Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Matthias Click, penalty of the podcast, calm, collected, and definitely to the left of Jack Butland. And I'm joined by the Liam Cooper in off the post of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, and the late in the game, post on post, delectable, delicious left foot of Bamford of the podcast. <laughs> it's only Josh Hobbs. How are you doing, Josh? i can
2: barely speak to be honest (laughs) (laughs) it was it was unbelievable wasn't it that that was glorious i'll I'll be giddy for the whole pod (laughs) it will be hard to keep you down (laughs) tom how are you doing just superb wasn't it like um it's just
3: um for some reason this game felt a lot more pivotal than the game at the weekend despite it being exactly the same you know in terms of the amount of points that we could gain on Brentford. But it it just felt like the entire fan base was kind of psyched up over this one and dreading it. And it was just really nice to blow the entire concept of fear Mm. out of the water.
1: I'd I'd actually quite like to hear both of your thoughts on the topic of um, the scheduling of the games, just to get it out of the way, because it's quite boring, um, <laughs> a topic. But there's been a lot made of the fact that Leeds are following Brentford, I think, in every match day from here on in, uh, apart from obviously the final match day when everything will be at the same time. Um, and the the received wisdom seems to be that it's worse to go last in the gr- in the group of match day fixtures. Um, I certainly think it's unfair to expect Leeds to play last in every um Match day fixture, but what's the general thinking on this? Do you guys feel as though we're under more pressure playing at the end of the group or i mean from here like look at look at um look at what Brentford have to do now. They've just seen Leeds put five past Stoke, and Brentford are going to have to come out against Derby now, and they know that they've got another three points that they have to win even to just keep up with things so um yeah let's start with you Josh What's your thought on the on the scheduling and and the the impact that will have
2: I'd love the thought that if we were playing before. Brentford next that we could be nine points clear of them and they and they must respond to that but um, yeah I've probably been one of those that that has made a bit of a a fuss <laughs> about about that because I think it did psychologically affect us last year um but then equally the gap beforehand was a lot closer so we once we were losing to Wigan we already knew that <coughs> Sheffield United had won and had overtaken us so I think it, it's that kind of scenario whereas it, at this point that can't that can't happen obviously um West Brom can overtake can overtake us and did overtake us before this game um but yeah it's, it's fine as long as we bat it back to them each time and it's another mm. game gone and another uh they know again now that they can't dro- they, they basically can't drop a single point to keep mm. the pressure up so yeah I, I i wish it was different but as long as we keep responding like that it won't it, it won't matter
1: and Tom from here on in do you I mean does it do you think it looks like someone is going to lose points at some point in the future um do you think that that will happen in this next match day fixture do you think this is going to be the match day fixture where one of West Brom or or Brentford lose points or do you think it's just going to be like this trading backwards and forth all the way through to the end
3: well there's that old um there's that old kind of adage about uh about statistics in general that you know the sort of coin flip analogy that even if you flip a coin 50 times and its heads every single time it's still a 50 50 chance of it being tails or heads the next time and I think that applies like and you have to you have to just hold on to that so you know Brentford just because Brentford have won you know so many games in a row it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win every game and it doesn't really it might increase their chances to a certain extent of winning the next game because they do have that momentum and that belief but it doesn't mean that they can't ever lose again Mm. Uh, but, but I mean but obviously like I can't say I think It means they will lose in the week because it doesn't mean anything, does it? Hmm.
1: Well, I think I've done everything that I set out to do in deflating the excitement we had from a game by having a really boring discussion of uh, scheduling <laughs> So, Job done for us. This is this is the way that we do it. All all stats, aren't we? Now that we've deflated and, and punctured the, the the bubble full of nitrous oxide gas that we were all high on, we can now very carefully talk about the game that has just gone. So, um, let's start with a with a nice, easy question um, about just the, the the way that the game felt. So, um, obviously, the the, the the way that Leeds um, ebb and flow in, in recent weeks has been, has been quite interesting and it's felt as though some games we've played really well, other games we haven't. But actually, if you look at the underlying statistics, the, the, the numbers are pretty much solid the whole way through. So um, with that in mind, was this actually that different um, from the majority of our games or was it just a case of us being more clinical? Tom, what do you think? Yeah, it's it's hard to say without you know having ever had time to watch any
3: of the game back or you know see any of the actual statistics and things like that. But it it didn't. I mean, it felt great obviously at the time, but just just thinking about it, it it didn't it didn't seem like we were doing anything vastly different from the majority of our games. I think we we got the goal just before halftime, which is you know a cliched great time to score, and then we got a second goal really quickly after half time and i think at that point stoke were completely out of ideas because i think some of the teams that we've played against and they've they've sat back and tried to defend have seemed a bit more comfortable with that mindset than stoke were stoke seemed like they were almost forcing it a little bit uh as opposed to you know your likes of wigan who seemed a bit more comfortable and i think i think once we had the second goal they just didn't know what to do basically um but but in general i don't i think i think we were a bit sharper i think uh we were obviously more clinical i think we made fewer mistakes at the back and fewer poor passes in the game in general than we had done but i don't think the majority of our game was vastly different from cardiff
1: yeah how how about yourself josh how did you feel that this game was compared to previous games yeah i think um
2: yeah, it's it's that it's that thing of once once we score the first goal, we uh, that sort of lets the shackles off with us. Um, however, yeah, I mean we did create. Looking on info goal, we created three point eight eight xg, which I think probably second only to the Cardiff three three for what we've created this season. So it was it was a very creative game. Obviously, both of those games have included penalties, so mm. that adds that adds. Uh, 0.77. Um, yeah. I I think I was thinking when Roberts missed that that chance. That was you just ex- you just were waiting for the net to bulge, <laughs> and it and it got cleared off the line i had that moment (laughs) of thinking oh no it's it's gonna be one of those again um but yeah we fully deserve to to open the scoring with that penalty and um i think bamford made a huge difference uh in terms of how he moved their center backs around because despite Hmm. the fact that they had three center backs he was just in space all the time he was always getting in behind and uh yeah that the run that he made uh for the initial shot that was cleared off the line before Roberts, uh, before Roberts's shot was cleared off the line, that was brilliant centre forward play. I'm really, really pleased that that Pat got got the goal at the end. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I know the question was was that any different to to normal, <laughs> and I've just gone off on a on a spiel, well, but I don't think it was different. I think we just yeah. we just buried our chances,
3: as you're saying, Josh. That that um, you know that that very high XG that we had in the game um it's almost illustrative of how how on the bleeding edge we play and how v- such small elements of our game mm. can result in such large improvements in the score because if we don't make mistakes we're basically unplayable mm-hmm. um you know especially once we're a goal ahead like if we don't make mistakes it's impossible to play against us in this league against the caliber of players that mm. we're playing against yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah. The the smallest improvements, i.e., not making basic errors at the back, basically vastly can. can vastly improve our performance but they're very small things really Hmm.
1: i talk about game state all the time and you know this is a great example of of why game state is so important what i mean by game state is um if you're in a position where you're winning versus in a position of drawing or losing the the tactics of the game changes and and things happen i mean stoke stoke didn't look particularly solid before we scored the goal but once we got the goal the floodgates opened and they they really had to sort of try and do something there was no point sitting back anymore and um uh, I think that was a really good example of why, why that sort of thing happens. Uh, the difference between Luton and Stoke is, is literally Luton scored first. You know, If Stoke had got their goal first, if they'd got a goal, if they'd got anywhere near the goal, obviously they didn't. <laughs> but you know, we're only, we're only a, a, a mistake in transition away from that sort of thing happening, then things could have been very different. So I think that's what it's, why it's so um, tortured being a Leeds fan at the moment because we do have to keep winning games and we do know that one mistake and, and that will just make the, 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 the game so much harder for us so um, let's move on to talk about tactics because I thought this actually was a really interesting game from a tactical point of view um, I say this with the caveat that we haven't had the chance to go back and watch it um, which is a shame really because I think this is probably one of the most interesting games that we've played tactically in the last few weeks and um, Stoke, after me saying that they're very much not an interesting side, came out and were actually quite interested interesting. They they fielded pretty much a four-three 3 3-4-3, uh, three, four, three, sorry, uh, which sort of segued into a five, two, three or something in in a pressing situation. They pressed, as we said, as I said, they would in a mid block. Um, and actually I thought quite interesting in the first half. I thought Nick Powell was quite good at getting in, in amongst our players trying to break up the 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 pressing, uh pre- break up break up with pressing the, um, the build-up during the early phases of the game, um, both him and Tyrese Campbell on either side, so I thought with, with Vokes and um, uh, sort of as the centre-forward, but then those two quite high up, they tried to sort of disrupt us in a bit of a mid-block um, and then once the the block had been broken. They sort of dropped back into a into a five at the back, and then and then a sort of four midfield, and then and then the striker there as well, which I thought was quite interesting. That obviously disappeared um, a little bit after the uh, after the second half. And then for Leeds, it was a, a bit of an there was a bit of an interesting change in the second half, which we've had a bit of a discussion about. Um, but Stuart Dallas seemed to um, develop some something of a freer role. I I've got to watch it back, but I have a suspicion that what happened was that we went to a fourth four a uh, sorry a three three one three um with with dallas as as almost a um, the the right um, wing back, but then as you were saying, Josh, Luke Ayling played uh, fairly far forward as well. But I think that, I think what frustrated Bielsa maybe about the first half was simply that we just had players wasted in defence. Stoke really weren't putting a huge amount of pressure in us on us um, in wide areas. So I think he just sort of decided to try and push up the fullbacks where he could uh, and invert them just to help in the build up phases, um, which is something that's happened before. And that happened for maybe the first twenty minutes until until uh, Douglas came on and then we went to a bit more of a solid back four but anyone got any anything they wanted to add about the um the, the the tactics of the game because um it was quite an interesting tactic I thought Stoke were you know interesting in at least in the way that they approached the problem and they tried to um to do that mid mid block in a in a four three a three four three which I've never seen before um but any thoughts on that when you were
3: talking about um was just committing more players forward in the second half in general. Um, in the first half, I thought it was quite notable that Roberts seemed to be pushing forward more often than he has done in previous games. He was almost be- being the second striker at times. And I think a really illustrative game from last season was uh, the Nottingham Forest game that we ended up losing in the end. But um, we went down to 10 men and essentially played a weird kind of three at the back with one centre-back um, oh. for for a long time and played some great football and I think we're seeing a few more elements of that at times this season where Bielsa is throwing caution to the wind a little bit more and essentially playing Ailing as a sort of hybrid centre-back full-back and mm-hmm. we also have a full-back you know uh, uh, in Dallas supporting him and I think that's a really interesting thing to do when when teams when teams aren't committing players forward that we, you know we have the ability to do that for Ailing to almost mm. do both jobs at once and it, yeah, yeah it's, it definitely seemed that way today.
2: Last time we played Stoke, obviously it was um Nathan Jones as manager at that time, but Bielsa um counted their three at the back in that game with uh with a three five two and Harrison was the second striker, hmm. Hernandez was central, and then it was Dallas and Alioski as uh, as wing-backs. I don't know whether we'd gone to that uh, in the second half because Costa, obviously Costa popped up in like a left-sided striker position to score the second goal um, which I can't have been the only one when he received the ball that was going
1: <laughs> what are you do? Oh yes, get in! Like, <laughs> <laughs> he also won the penalty over yeah, on the side. Costa
2: well. was great today. Mm, yeah, really he was. Today.
1: I, think, I think, again, the reason behind that movement of, of Dallas over in the build-up phase to the onto the right is probably because of what I was saying about Nick Powell being quite a good presser on that side. When you've got Nick Powell and James McLean over on that that, that side, I think potentially Bielsa just wanted another player over there to um, help in the build-up phase. Um, but that's just that's just me thinking. But we've we've seen that happen before. There's been a few games where Dallas has sort of Played as as that right wing back in the in the in the three three one three, which where the, where one of the wing backs actually plays more as a sort of central midfielder, and then you have a more classic wing back on the left. Um, we've seen that sort of thing happening before, and I think that was the same kind of thing that was happening. Um, happening there, but yeah, we should, we should say that there was Dan Holdsworth did ask what, where the hell was Dallas playing in the second half, and and that's a good question. And I'm going to rewatch the game, I think, and probably write something on it because this is the second time this has happened noticeably before. So I think it's really fascinating. We should have a look at that. Uh, Ryan Quinn did get in touch and said thoughts on the change in shape in the second half seemed far more flexible with not much of a fixed shape until Dub- Douglas subbed on, and uh, what was the effect of the said tactical change? So yeah, that, that's my two two cents on it just that Bielsa wanted maybe a little bit more in the build-up phase. And then once we got a few goals ahead, he was happy to just settle it back down with a back four um, and just sort of absorb pressure a little bit more and then try and hit them on the break, which is is what worked. But I think we should talk about the fact that Stoke really gave us a lot of space. They played with a really high back line, which a lot of teams haven't done against us. Um, And I think the reason they were doing that was because they wanted to try and compact us in the central midfield areas. Uh, but obviously, that freed up space that that Costa could run into, and I think there's it shouldn't be that surprising that Helder Costa had the best game, probably in a lead shirt for him in a game where he was given that space to run into and looked really dangerous and was obviously the caused the first goal and and scored the second, uh, and I thought was a really instrumental player throughout. So, who wants to wax lyrical on on Helder Costa? I'm sure Josh, you've uh, got got something that you wanted to say.
2: Well, I think, um, yeah, I've. I've been a fan of him all along, uh, all throughout this season. All right, uh, there's no
1: need to be uh, cocky <laughs> about it.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just say- just saying. I, th- I think uh, I, obviously I've I've written things about him before, being sort of a um, a weapon for us in in transition and progressing the ball forwards uh, through carrying it. But it was really nice today to see him, um, and again also in the Fulham game, although he got subbed off. But um, being able to bring that M product part of his game, which was obviously much more of what he did at Wolves. Um, Yeah, it was interesting that Stoke uh, seemed to play like a weirdly high line, considering what they were doing in the midfield, which was not really pressing us. And then leaving some space in behind, which Bamford and Costa were both getting into. And yeah, it was great. Um, That run, uh, I think I've got, got it on stats zone, but the only two successful take-ons that Costa actually made in the game uh were leading up to that goal so he, he made them both in that one run and then fouled uh fouled in the box uh for the for the opening goal um he got in behind uh similarly to how he did for um for Eddie Nketiah's first goal for Leeds uh against Brentford where uh, the pass went down the line and he just when he gets a pass like that I always think he's gonna at least create a chance um and that was just brilliantly finished by by Hernandez wasn't it I think um I think if Costa can kick on from there um he'll he'll get a few
1: more assists before the end Tom you have some interesting thoughts about Costa
3: (laughs) yeah I, I, I was just thinking today especially because the fan base seems to have been largely quite critical of Costa since the resumption of football Um, and and he is an inconsistent player and he can be a frustrating player and I think it would be difficult to disagree with that but Leeds fans seem to have broadly um accepted alioski's inconsistency and and weirdness and craziness um and i th- and I, I half wonder because alioski's been th- here for three years and because you know he does amazing videos where he just shouts peppa pig into the camera and because <laughs> because he is just an incredible character um and because he's been here longer than costa are, are we a bit are we a bit harsh on costa for having a lot of the same um characteristics in his actual football uh you know he he's inconsistent but at his best he's better than Alioski you know you know uh, mm. you know he the things he can do Alioski can't do so I, ju- I just wonder whether yeah we're, we're a bit there's a, there's a bit kind of Alioski gets something of a free pass and i'm not saying you know he gets a lot of he gets his fair share of criticism as uh, criticism as well but does he get a bit more of a free pass than than Costa just by virtue of number 1 being here longer and number 2 being a, more of a character yeah
2: mm. for sure i think Costa's actually one of our best footballers like purely as a player he's one of our best players he can do things that uh I don't see any any of our other players doing
3: yeah and and a lot of that's down to pace right which um people for some reason discount as a characteristic of a footballer as though because you've just inherently got that um due to your physique that it doesn't count you know what I mean (laughs) yeah like like people when, when you talk about that they say oh yeah but it's all about pace and it's like well pace is one of the things that he has like it's not really fundamentally any different to having a good touch it's a characteristic that you have as a as a football player
1: yeah i do think that maybe the context comes into it a little bit there in that you know we don't expect alioski to be the best player on the pitch mm-hmm. but i think given the amount of money that we spent on costa we do expect him to be the best player on the pitch
3: I guess so, John, but um, when when Alioski first came to the club, we did expect him to be one of the best players on the pitch. Mm. And I think mm. that ta- the time has, you know, it's mollified our idea of what Alioski mm. needs to be. That's a really good point. And I think the same thing could happen with Costa.
1: Yeah, I, I, I suspect as well the fact that, you know, that what's going to be really interesting about someone like Costa is if we go up this season into the Premier League, he's going to be given so much more space. And that's when we're really going to see whether or not he's worth however much we spent on him, 17 million or whatever it is. 15 million, I can't remember. It's a lot. Yeah, 15. Considering our record is around 18 or something, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's probably, probably what comes into it. But just games like this it's just it's it's nice it it seems as though Costa really benefited from his break um he had obviously a, a game or two off and um i wonder how much of that was simply that you know before that he was carrying a little bit of a niggle and they just decided to rest him up and and get him to properly rest relax it out and it seems to have benefited him as well um We should talk about, let's talk about just the way the game unfolded and then we'll come back to talk about Bamford because um, I'm obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about how great Patrick Bamford is (laughs) because he is. Um, But yeah, again, we're talking about getting through the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, We've made a big note of the fact in previous podcasts about the fact that clubs... Uh, team's oppositions do come up against us and they really push us for the first 10 15 minutes um, and Stoke were no different um, again they, they they did they did their sort of mid mid block press where they tried to get us to play behind their forward line and then and then sort of counter press in the midfield area um, but it, and it broadly worked I think for the first 10-15 minutes Um, and you know it was quite frustrating watching because it felt as though Leeds really weren't getting a huge amount of uh, on-ball activity Um, like we said they played a high line and tried to really compact the spaces between the players and I think that was I think that was smart really by uh, O'Neill I think that's a smart way of playing because we know that Bielsa's team's get their edge by being able to interchange rotate in the midfield area if you just if you simply play low ball football but in the midfield area then you do cause a huge amount of problems um, but I just think you know the the problem with that approach is you are going to give up chances and they did give up chances and uh, before long they were they were down but let's talk about that first 10-15 minutes where how did you feel about the 10 the first 10-15 minutes uh, Tom, was it something that you sort of um, knew that we were going to come through or did it feel as though there could be something coming through there? Well,
3: the thing I thought about tonight's 10, first 10 or 15 was that the teams that seem to have had real success against Bielsa's teams combine that, that, um, that defending deep, uh, well, sorry, I mean, they had a high line, obviously, but that that mass defence with targeted pressing of our centre-backs when we have the ball. And Stoke weren't doing that at all. Certainly, uh, maybe a little bit in the first five or ten minutes, but after that, they completely stood off whenever our centre-backs had the ball. And that works when you're 1-0 up against Leeds, but I don't think that works when you're 0-0 against Leeds because that allows us to build attacks more intelligently. Yeah,
2: I, I was nervous uh when when ben white <laughs> carried the ball out and mm. fell over uh that <laughs> that'll make you nervous i swore in front of my, <laughs> my child at that point um <laughs> and that that was um that was really i think the most nervous i was at any point hmm. to in terms of defensively uh and that actually led to their uh their best chance of the game according to um according to InfoGoal, the free kick was a nine percent chance and they didn't have a a single other chance that was any higher than five percent
3: that is brutal a free kick being your best chance isn't it which was
2: the the header from gregory in the 75th minute was was a five percent chance um so yeah that we literally apart from that free kick just completely shut them out and uh yeah, like you say, they didn't. They just didn't sustain that press that they that they put on. I can think of um, the Preston game uh, at Ellen Road where they caused us a lot of problems with with pressing. Uh, but this just wasn't that. Once we came through that period, I just started to think it's, it's only a matter of time uh, before we score here. Uh, and then Roberts missed the chance, and then I thought, oh, we're never going to score. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just important to say that you know I don't think they were trying to do a high block. I think they were simply trying to invite us to to go into the midfield area, and then they were going to press us. So yeah. that's why we didn't see a high press because they knew that they would have got knackered if they did that.
3: Sorry, John, but my, my clarification there—I meant they were playing a high defensive line. Yeah yeah. Than, yeah, yeah,
1: sure. Um, and I think that's—I think that's an interesting. Uh, approach because we haven't really seen that before but I think most managers will look back at the video and go there's that there's that experiment done we don't need to try that one anymore so we probably won't see that anymore and I I think the blueprint remains the same right you sit back very low block decompress as quickly as you can and hope for the best pray to the gods and that's how you beat leads Um, but let's move on because it is time to talk about Pat Bamford Um, what 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 a player! Um, and it's nice to see him. <laughs> nice to see him finally uh, getting a little bit of love. Um, we we had a question from the Leeds podcast. I Leeds, therefore I am. They said the best and worst of Bamford. What's the difference between the two sides of him? Um, good question. But let's let's think about what the best of him was tonight. Um, Josh, what what what's your take on Bamford tonight? Running in
2: behind, uh, always finding space. Uh, his link-up play was back to what what it uh, has been at his best. Um, just little touches off, like back to goal and then Dallas running onto them, Costa running onto them, Click running onto them. Harrison had a good chance off a touch back from from Bamford. Um, and as always, uh, getting in positions to score. Yes, he, he hasn't scored as many as we'd have hoped that he would have scored this season. But without fail, he gets in in the positions and tonight, uh, yeah, he had three good chances to score. He was really unlucky with the first one that McLean got back to that. He'd beaten the keeper really well. The, uh, the volley, I think he just tried to hit the covers off the ball and I don't think he necessarily needed to hit it as hard as he did, but still, that was very unlucky. Um, and he, he fully deserved that, that goal, a great finish. And, uh, uh, it's nice to see in this, um, this run to the end of the season that, I think he's sort of making up a little bit of his, uh, his XG that has gone begging.
1: Mm. I think uh, he was quite proactive. I thought like you said, in his shooting, Uh, we, we did have that. You mentioned that shot where he, he did just rip it over the bar, but um, I thought it was, it was nice to see because I think too, too often we've seen him try to be precision and, um but sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't it's just nice to see him sort of I think maybe you know being a little bit more front foot um which what we saw against Blackburn his just first time shot maybe got a bit of confidence from that it was like yeah you know what I don't need to make certain of chances before I put them in I can I can take them on on the on the fly and see see where they go so I I like to, I like to see that about him but yeah an incredible an incredible all-round performance from him uh Tom anything you want to add on on Patrick?
3: Uh, yeah, um, I, I noticed that after about after that first ten minutes or so, when Stoke were actually doing okay, he started dropping deeper a bit more. Um and I, I think that really started unbalancing the Stoke defence like when he did start dropping deep. And he gets a lot of criticism for dropping deep. Um so I think it's important that we highlight when he drops deep and it helps helps us and, and makes the game better. Um I, I also I also think, you know, he hit the bar with that chance as well. And I, I I always think that players don't get enough credit for hitting the bar, which sounds weird, but hitting the bar is better than hitting it right down the goalkeeper's throat, um, even though Theoretically, you might have a chance to score when you hit it right at the goalkeeper, but I, I always think hitting the bar, yeah, it's it's a, it's a better shot than if you hit it right at the keeper,
1: and, I, and players never get any credit for that. Yeah, I think that's true. we talked about this before, actually, about how Bamford actually seems to be too accurate. Um, it seems as though sometimes he's actually aiming at the frame of the goal as his as his point of reference, and when he hits the post, sometimes it feels as though he is he is aiming at it and hitting it. Um, and you know, that's a. It sounds like a really banal point to make, but we're going to get ripped for that. Tom. Yeah,
2: gonna say, man. If you
1: want, if you wanted
3: to get a, if you wanted to get like a, a parody of what this podcast is supposed to be,
2: all you have to do is cut that clip out. <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have no shame
2: in (laughs) this
0: Whatsoever
1: Bamford is almost too good at finishing yeah that is the problem Pat Pat Bamford is too good Uh, it's too good for this world but um, but yeah just anecdotally I know that that that's a problem that some strikers have worked on is that um, sometimes they they are aiming because you have to take a point of reference and um, it's something that I've worked with shooting coaches in the past with where they where you have to start visualising and saying you you know that you're aiming at the post you have to try and put some kind of curl on it one way or the other just to be uh, just to be safe so um, but yeah you know let, to 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 uh, really step back from that that parodic take um you know <laughs> <laughs> the problem that we have with with Pat Bamford this season has not been he's been too accurate um <laughs> in in and around the six yard box so um th- there's that as well was that his
2: 15th goal it was his 15th goal right was it not his yeah 16th. i think it was his 16th, 16th yeah. Sorry. yeah so perilously close to 20 he can get 20 come on come on pat well, the thing is, if you get 19, it's shit. And if you get 20, it's great. That, that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. I said he'd get six in the last nine. That would take him to 19. I'll be happy with that if that prediction comes true. We're, we've gone up, I think.
1: Yeah, so three three more goals in four games. We'll, we'll see. Um, it will help if we win some of them 5 nil. I suppose. <laughs> but he was also really good at the, the Pablo goal. We, we need to talk about Pablo, but how good was... That goal where in, in just as a whole team effort, the ball down the line, the cut inside the step over from Bamford, and then the finish from uh, Hernandez it's got to be up there with one of the best game uh, goals in in the bielsa era um, Tom, thoughts on Pablo um. Yeah, yeah, we've got a question from Mighty White's podcast. Despite how much we all love him, do we appreciate Pablo Hernandez enough? Um, I, I think we do when he's coming off the bench, actually.
3: I think it's when he's starting that we don't appreciate him. I think it's abund- it's really obvious when he comes off the bench and everyone everyone does appreciate him as much as he should be appreciated. But that, that goal in particular, it, it, it felt like a goal that other teams score. It felt like the kind of goal that Norwich scored last season where everything just kind of went right. You know, it goes to a player who's not really being marked on the edge of the box and he strokes it in. And and that's, you know, the kind of thing that Pablo can do because he's a he's an amazing player. And, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily have that many amazing players. We've got an amazing manager. We've got an amazing team. We've got an amazing system. But Pablo is one of our few
1: amazing players. And it, it's mm. an
3: absolute joy to watch him play. Yeah, and yeah. we're
1: just a completely different team with him on the field, aren't we? Um, Josh, there's a the question from Bielsa Ball as well saying, do we keep playing Pablo last 45 minutes when they're tired or playing for 60 from the start? start what's your take on that
2: I definitely would have been in the camp before the last two games of we need to play Pablo for an hour and get get into a comfortable lead and and the game's done and he can come off but the last two games we've seen that we can get in a lead without him and then him just come and just kill the opposition with his With his probing passing, Mm. I mean, (laughs) Stoke must have felt awful when they've they've gone in one-nil, and then they just see Pablo coming on at half-time, and they think, oh, for flip's sake, like when when we're not getting the ball now and he just he just killed them with the with his passes from deep in behind his movement for um for Cooper's goal was i mean it's actually really basic he just ran across the box <laughs> he just ran across the box laterally across the box um but it was like he was a ghost they just didn't no, he was there. Um, everything yeah. he does is just so intelligent, and he mm. just he just took the game away from them. I think he didn't he didn't obviously didn't make the assist for um, Costas goal. It was it was Dallas, but he was involved in the past just beforehand, and just I think just his presence in midfield just it changes the game. And uh, if we're one 0 up, we bring Pablo on. Uh, you know we we're gonna win by <laughs> we're gonna win by several goals because it just takes the game away that cooper goal was another incredible move that you know i think we'll look
3: back on you know in years to come especially if we go up and and say that was an incredible goal and it, a lot of um comparisons between football and american football tend to be trite ones where you can play, compare you know deep lying playmakers to quarterbacks but hmm. that that almost that run that hernandez made for the cooper goal was almost like um a run that a player would make in american football where they sort of they go across uh, they, you know, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, they go across the line of the defence, and that's almost a distraction from everything else that's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, it, it was, a, it was, a, yeah, it was a beautiful goal, like so many players involved, and a lovely finish from Cooper.
1: Yeah, I must admit, I'm really looking forward to rewatching the game because you, you know, it's 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 all well and good watching as as a fan the first time round, and and I. Absolutely loved the, start, the game from start to finish. Really, uh, it was a good, fun game. But going back and just unpicking some of the things that happened, uh, just really, really nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, just one more thing on players before we um, before we start um, moving on to the Swansea game on Sunday. Um, just a, a note um, on Ilan Melier. Um, you've mentioned Tom. There was a dive down to keep a clean sheet on 87 minutes and he looked uh, generally assured Um, again looked pretty pretty good uh, in general I think and um, at this point I should probably mention that we've just put out a Patreon episode today about goalkeeping I spoke to John Harrison a guy who is an analyst at goalkeeping intelligence and he was good enough to look through all of the defensive actions of both Malier and Casilla this season and uh, has some really interesting things to say about both of those um, I'll just go to you on this Tom um, the thoughts on melier he's been pretty solid really hasn't he since the, the lockdown it feels almost unfair but I, d- I don't
3: think he is as good in terms of the build-up players as Casilla as is mm. but but certainly for crosses into the box it you feel so much safer when he's diving up for a cross than than you did when Kiko was in there so and also he's not racist as far as I know so
1: (laughs) yeah it's always a bonus isn't it right just one more question about the situation in the league right now so it's looking quite nice we're at the top of the table with 81 points West Brom one point behind us and then we have that six point gap to Brentford and eight point gap to Fulham how are we feeling from this point onwards? Um, what what sort of points total are we expecting that we need to get here from the final four games? And again, we've we've mentioned the pressure that this heaps on both West Brom and, and Brentford. Um, one of those two teams is going to drop points, you would think, in the last four games. So um, how are we feeling about the the final run-in for those four games, Tom? Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's sort
3: of... You, you, you know today just felt like such a big build up and then it ended up being completely fine so uh, you, you always say John like that that it's pointless you know making predictions about games and it definitely feels that way like yeah. um i i think every single game since we exited lockdown we've done enough to win the game and yeah. you know it, it it feels ridiculous to say that to say that we should be winning every game because it it definitely doesn't feel like that during the game because mm. we hate it and it's 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 agony but of course we're doing enough and um, and and mm. if things go as they should which they may or may not then we're going up
1: mm. yeah it's just a case i was saying to my friend who I was watching the game with you know it's just a case of being like we've got that 3 point 3 point buffer and we just have to keep that 3 point buffer you know it's, it's it's nice to have it and if we mess up then we've got that 3 point buffer but we have to take that 3 point buffer as deep as we can and that's sort of how i'm looking at it at the moment every game is a big game because we can afford that that one uh, game game loss and you kind of think well you know who's going to be the hardest fixture that we have potentially it's, it's I mean it's hard to even know isn't it because you know the the, the clubs that we really the teams that we really struggle against and not the teams that you would expect to struggle against so it's it's a fun, it's a really funny one I expect for example Derby to be on paper you would think the hardest fixture we have left but I have more fear about Barnsley and, and definitely Charlton if we go into that one needing a, a result so it'd be nice to get through these next three games and still have that three-point buffer obviously because we would have won the league but you know it's it's about making that taking that buffer as deep as we can for, for me from here um, and again my other mantra has been just fin- like make sure we're ahead of West Brom that's all we need to do as long as we finish ahead of West Brom we are going up um and so it's a, yeah, again a case of just sort of keeping the pressure on them making sure that we we force them to have to make the move rather than um force it ourselves so um I'll, I'll go to you Josh for this just um for for one final word of uh, of wisdom on the uh, final run in
2: i've i've been maintaining all along and i've been starting to sound like a desperate crazy man <laughs> but i've been maintaining that brentford will not win all their games and i'm still sticking <laughs> with that even though they're starting to make me look stupid <laughs> but i i think um i think you know 7 points from here is totally doable um and that guarantees us to go up but i i think we could probably do it with four or five points from from here um and and we'd go up I was thinking earlier on that three three wins and one draw from five
3: games feels quite daunting. Um, two wins and one draw from four games doesn't
1: feel the same somehow, even though it sort of well. is... We do have a question that I'm loath to ask, actually, because we'll probably get in trouble for this. But John Precious asks, our worst under Bielsa over four games. Have we ever got fewer than seven points? I'm just wondering how monumentally disappointing this is if we stick this up. Well, yeah, because in the last four games of last season, we got one point. <laughs> exactly. That was what I was going to say, too. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we won't. It's
2: not going to be like that. We were unravelling earlier than that last yeah. year.
3: If we score any goals after the ball's been kicked
2: out, we're just going to... Just let it lie. (laughs) (laughs) No FIFA
3: fair play award for us this season. (laughs) Absolutely not.
4: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people
0: today.
1: Right, we need to talk about the Swansea game on Sunday. So I was lucky enough to talk to Ben Church, who is a Swansea fan and a very knowledgeable Swansea fan at that. And this is what Ben had to say. So I'm joined by Ben Church, a Swansea fan. Ben, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. Uh, not really enjoying the, the downturn in the weather. I will start this off with, with conversations about the weather because uh, I am English. So, But yeah, how, how is it? in you, you in Swansea? Is it is it dank and miserable down there as well?
4: It is a much better year, mate, to be honest <laughs> with you.
1: Oh Well, let's hope it, it picks up. Yeah, indeed. Right. Swansea, last time we played you, you took the top spot from us, but you've slipped down the table a little bit since then, so what's gone wrong since we last played?
4: Yeah, I think the first six games kind of gave the fans a false reality of where we were going to be this season, to be honest, it definitely heightened our expectations. We had five wins and a draw from our first six games. But I think two of those games, the Leeds game at Allen Road in particular, we really didn't deserve to win. Leeds game was just a smash and grab, as I'm sure you remember. But then we also had a win against Preston where they could have been out of sight by half time. Um there were remnants of Graham Potter's style of play and there in the first month, I'd say, that have faded as the season's kinda of gone on. Like we weren't spectacular for the first six games, but uh we were definitely better than we have been for the next thirty five. Because I think, what was it, five wins in a draw from the first six? And then ten wins from 35, which is like relegation form almost. So, uh, yeah, we're lucky we started so well, to be honest. Otherwise, we'd probably be looking over our shoulder about now.
1: So you've had a few games now to assess what post-lockdown Swansea looks like. Uh, It's been a bit of a mixed bag with two wins a draw and a loss. How have you looked actually on the field?
4: Uh, We have looked a completely different team every single game, to be completely honest. I think there was a lot of excitement and belief generated by the 3-0 win against Barra away from home when we came back. But looking back in hindsight now, that was mainly because I think Jonathan Woodgate couldn't really have set his team up any worse if he tried. We had uh, come up against a high defensive line, with three at the back and what this basically meant was that we had plenty of space in behind the defense for uh, Brewster to get in behind and it also meant that in the wide areas Ayu and Kalulu both had a field day they just had so much space and time hit them three, four times on the counter making really good goal scoring opportunities in the first half and then after that we just sat back for the rest of the game. We didn't really need to do anything else. And then you go from Cloud9 to Borough to probably one of our worst performances of the season. 1-0 loss at home to Luton. You had Nathan Jones coming back to Liberty with a relegation threatened and team for the second time this season and taking three points from us once again. He changed shape a couple of times during the game, but I think their defensive setup when they were in the 4-1-4-1 formation was brilliant. I think Jones recognised from the Borough game just how good we are in the wide areas with Ayu uh, and Kalulu. So what he chose to do was when we were in possession of the ball, he dropped the ball side wide player for Luton back to form a sort of back bite And that basically gave us no space to penetrate them in the wide areas. And basically this is full backs haven't been very adventurous going forward. And the partner play on this day, we were just very, very slow there was no tempo so by the time we'd work the ball over to the other side of the field where Luton had kind of left a the mm. space they'd already reorganized and you had the other uh, wide player already dropped back to form a different back five mm. so uh yeah we could have played another 90 minutes in that Luton game and not scored to be completely honest with you. Mm. Millwall one all draw wasn't a lot better we were probably lucky to get a point the goal had a massive element of luck about that it. it was just a uh, free kick that hit the bar hit the keeper and went in um I think the defending for Millwall's goal was terrible in that game as well. We lost the ball cheaply in midfield. We had the left back, Jake Bidwell, completely out of position with almost no urgency to actually get back into position. And then when Millwall were about to cut back for the goal, you had George Byers, who was marking McBurnett, but ran away from his man to have the run of the Millwall player that Matt Grimes was already marking. So, uh, yeah, very poor in that game as well. Didn't really attempt to play out of the back at all we just had three Millwall players pushed up to the edge of the box and we attempted to go long to Andre Ayew time and time again. Hmm. And we really don't have the personnel to play direct football. So uh, I'm not sure what Cooper was doing in that game. And then he probably had the strangest game of all, which was the 2-1 win against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, because we only had one fit centre-back, it was Mark Gahey. So he actually went with a 3-5-2 formation to begin with for the first time this season. That saw Kyle Norton and Jake Bidwell become centre-backs for the game only problem here was that you had 35 year old Wayne Routledge being used as a left wing back and he was completely overrun by Jacob Murphy because he didn't have the legs to get up and down the line so I think Wednesday probably should have been 2-3 up by half time hmm. but luckily it was uh, nil-nil. but we did come out to be fair to us in the second half we had a lot more urgency about us We moved the ball a lot quicker Routledge began to sit deeper and the left centre back Jake Bidwell began to go forward more and that's actually where the penalty was one from jake midwell crossing the ball and for roberts who was fouled so Hmm. in the second half we did a lot better but all in all it's been like you said a mixed bag to be honest our performance is just dictated by the how the opposition set up against us Hmm.
1: You've already mentioned that you, you had you not had such good form at the beginning of the season, you might be looking over your shoulder now. Um, you're only four points off the playoff spots, but it sounds as though you don't see yourself as having much hope of creeping in.
4: I mean, you've got to maintain a bit of hope, have Otherwise, the season just fizzles out. But I think the problem for us now is that Cardiff and Derby are on such good form, we'd probably have to win all five of our remaining games to make it happen. One of them being against you, obviously. Another one being against Forest, who we've had an awful time against since getting relegated. I really can't see it happening. There's obviously a small chance. I think, to be completely honest, if whoever gets in the stick, if they come up against Brentford, then over the course of two legs, Brentford win it comfortably anyway. But uh, yeah, it's unlikely, isn't it, to be honest?
1: Hmm. You've had almost a full season to assess Steve Cooper. How are you feeling about him these days? Uh, you've already mentioned that there's maybe a, a little bit of a honeymoon period with Cooper, given that um, Graham Potter's um, clear style was uh, and, and influence was still there early on. But how are you feeling about Cooper now?
4: Yeah, he definitely splits the opinion of the fan base, Steve Cooper. I mean, whether you like him or not, he currently has a sat on 60 points, whereas last season after 41 games, Potter had as a 50. So he's improved the points per game total up to this point. That's Despite the fact that I think the style of play has regressed significantly from what we saw with Porter. I mean, with the points total, it's hard for me to make a case that he hasn't been successful this season. But there are definitely some things that are concerning. When he came in, he talked about how he wanted to be expansive. He wanted our players to be brave on the ball. But we really haven't seen a lot of that this season. That's not to say he hasn't improved some things. I think away from home last season, we were really, really poor, whereas this season improved us a lot. We lost seven games in a row away from home under Potter last season. You compare that to a rec- away record this season of six wins, ten draws, and only four losses. That's a massive improvement. I think set pieces as well, he's improved us a lot. Last season, we were the worst, like the very worst in the league defensively, whereas this season He's got us to be in one of the best, and that's largely because of the backroom staff he's been able to accumulate from his time with the English FA as well. We've got a goalkeeper and set-piece coach, Martin Margaretston, who's currently the England FA's goalkeeping coach, so he's you know very, very, very good at his job, and we're probably lucky to have him. So that's what he brings you as well. Not only does he bring you the lone players, but he brings you the high-quality backroom staff along with him. also got David Teva, the fitness coach, who's the fitness coach for the English FA as well. So I obviously I'm not entirely sure how good the rest of the league's backroom staff is, but I think Swansea's got to be right up there, and that is because of Cooper.
1: Let's talk about Cooper's tactics. How would you describe what he tries to do on the field?
4: I think it's very hard to describe his tactics, because we have got to be up there with one of the most inconsistent teams in the league. Um... We do have the ability to string nice moves together, but I don't think we've seen enough of it this season, to be completely honest. We've resorted to going direct far too much for to a Swansea side, especially when you have technically gifted players like Brewster and Gallagher in the team. It doesn't uh, play to their strengths at all. I think we are relatively affected pressing the opposition when they have the ball. Uh, Conor Gallagher, especially because he's just a relentless player pressing. Um when possible, he likes to set us up to counter-attack, but that isn't always possible because I think the opposition know that is exactly what we want to do, so they don't often play into our hand like Woodgate did with Barrow. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of the time when we're in possession of the ball, we really don't look like we have a clear idea of what we're trying to do with it. Um, there aren't clear patterns of play, there's no positional rotation. We don't try to create overloads of the fallbacks. It's uh it's quite a rigid structure he has going with uh the team he sets up, so it's it's quite hard to actually see what he's trying to do.
1: Yeah, you've mentioned that you did try uh a three five two um in in recent weeks, but looking through the season as a whole, it looks like you've almost exclusively played four two three one. And I remember when you guys played as uh Ellen Um, I was sort of noticed how deep your double pivot sits and you don't really get much transition in the central areas you rely a lot on the wings for that but I'm interested in how much tactical flexibility you've had within that 4-2-3-1 this season.
4: Unfortunately I think there's been very little in the way of tactical flexibility as I just said it's very rigid the front four don't rotate a lot to create space you have the fallbacks who very very rarely ever enter the final third so you're relying on individual brilliance of people like IU and Gallagher and Brewster to create goal scoring opportunities I think there's been countless halves of football this season where you can't remember us having a shot on target And that is mainly because, like you said, the double pivot's really deep. You have Bolton or Byers, who are quite poor progressing the ball. But you have Matt Grimes, who's up there, one of the best in the Mm. league at it. But unfortunately, when he's progressing the ball, he doesn't really have the runners a lot of the time in front of him. There isn't a lot of movement. The ball isn't being moved nearly as quickly as we saw last season under Potter. There are probably a couple of rare occurrences where you'll see a, a bit of tactical flexibility in the system. That's when you'll see sometimes Matt Grimes drop in between the centre-backs, and that shouldn't give the full-backs you know, freedom to go forward. But unfortunately, once he's dropped in, they very rarely go that far forward anyway, so there wasn't much point in doing that. And then also sometimes when we aren't in possession of the ball, you'll see Conor Gallagher push up to the same line as Rhian Brewster. And that creates more of a 4-4-2 than a 4-2-3-1. And to be fair to Cooper that's been relatively effective in preventing the opposition playing through us. But other than that, it's quite, uh, there isn't really a lot going on.
1: I want to talk a little bit about your loanies, because you've got a number of loanees from Premier League sides um, and some very exciting players in there. How do you feel about using Loneys to get an edge in the championship? Do you have any worries about potentially losing them next season and then having to start again?
4: Yeah, I think it is a massive worry, particularly with our bad loan players as well. You've got Rhian Brewster and Connor Gallagher, who I'd give us next to no chance of getting again, simply because they're Premier League quality players. If... uh, if Chelsea and Liverpool decide to not keep them around the first team squad and send them out again, it'll, it'll be the Premier League clubs this time around, I'd imagine. We do have an option to extend the loan of Mark he for another season, which uh, I expect us to activate. And then you've also got Freddie Woodman, who it's looking like we may have half a chance of getting. Then the last two, you've got Ben Wilmot and Aldo Kalulu, who I doubt we'll see again anyway, because... Wilmot's only played 20 games. I'd imagine Watford, Watford were looking for a bit more than that. And Kalulu's got an option to buy for two and a half million. But we I don't think we have the money to do that even if we wanted to. Um, I think loans, they're definitely a great way of building a quality side in the short term. But the problem is it leaves you with a weaker squad every following summer. I mean, if we continue to only sign loans and freeze, we aren't really accumulating any assets. So in the long term, when the parachute payments finally run out, I worry we won't have any high-value players to sell to balance the books, and we could be in serious financial trouble.
1: How are you looking injury-wise, looking forward to the game on Sunday?
4: Yeah, obviously it's worth pointing out we haven't played Birmingham in midweek at the point of recording this, so there could be more injuries to come. But you've got Ben Wilmot and Joe Roden both centre-backs. Both got injured out for the season in the space of a couple of days. So that's a massive blow, especially Roden, because in my opinion, he's probably our best player. Um, you've also got another centre-back, Ben Gabango. A uh, 19-year-old pushing on to get into the Wales squad. He's being managed carefully because he's had a hernia problem all season, so it remains to be seen if he'll get on the pitch or not. But luckily for us, with those three having injury problems, that coincides with Mike van der Hoorn coming back to be fit enough to possibly start on Sunday. Um, he came on for a half hour against Sheffield Wednesday. Hopefully he'll get more minutes against Birmingham, and then you'd hope uh, a man of his experience, quality, be fit enough to start on le- uh, start Against Leeds and give us a huge boost there. Um, the last one being as well. By the time the Leeds game rolls around, Jordan Garrick, the pacey winger, will be available after ending his three-match suspension.
1: So, what do you think the the lineup will be on Sunday?
4: Probably expect us to go back to a four-two-three-one, wouldn't you? Because um, if we line up with a three-five-two again, we'd get absolutely killed in the wide areas. It would hmm. be uh, it would be a bit self-destructive. Um, no doubt it'll be Freddie Woodman and goals. He's been Mr. Consistent this season, to be honest. One of the best keepers in the league. You'd expect Cooper to start with Kyle Norton and Jake Bidwell. Connor Roberts is probably, he's too attack-minded for Cooper's liking. Um, they've been the two full-backs that have been preferred in recent weeks. Um, Van der horn if he's fit enough to start, and then you'd be lucky in Mark Aikie. If uh, Cabango's fit, it would be really, really unfair on Mark to drop him because... He put in a man of the match performance against Wednesday. He was phenomenal. Um, You'll have a double pivot of Jay Fulton and Mac Grimes. that will be defending for very large periods of the game. I doubt uh, we'll see either venture forward much at all. Um, you'd have Gallagher at the number 10 position and IU left wing. Right wing position is where it becomes less clear because we haven't really had a consistent starter. You've had aldo kalulu jordan garrick wayne routledge all vying for the same spot if i was to guess i'd probably say routledge because Leeds are going to press us relentlessly you're going to need a winger who's quite press resistant can hold on to the ball and other than IU, routledge is the only winger we really have at the club right now offers that quality and then you'll have ryan brewster up front who's probably our biggest threat
1: here's a question i always ask because i'm interested in what neutrals think about Leeds. but which player are you always wary of when you face Leeds?
4: I think the problem with leads is that it's not really the individuals that win you games there's Bielsa's system. If we mm. pay too much attention to trying to stop one of your attacking players, you have so many outlets you can hit us through, you'll just hit us somewhere else. Mm. Um, If I had to choose one, you know, being a Swansea fan, I know how good Pablo Hernandez is. I know he (laughs) hasn't really been getting a lot of minutes at the moment. He's like, I don't know if he's working back to fitness or what, but um, no, he's sensational. Hernandez is, he's quite two-footed and he's absolutely deadly when he drifts into one of the half spaces. He can shoot from range, he can make an inch-perfect cross that takes both the defence and the goalkeeper out of the equation, or he could just make a line-breaking pass that nobody else on the pitch even saw was a possibility. So yeah, he has basically got everything Hernandez, almost impossible to defend against.
1: And uh, in the other side of the, the equation, which players on the Swansea team should Leeds fans look out?
4: I think there's three. You've got Rian Brewster, Andre ayu and Connor Gallagher. Um, Swansea will be out without the ball for large periods of the game, I'd imagine. But if Leeds slot be in possession, like we saw against Cardiff, where you mm. uh, shot yourself in the foot a couple of times, conceding those two goals, then those three players can really hurt you they're brilliant all of them
1: yeah i'm a massive fan of conor gallagher i bore people with with my tales of conor gallagher i watched him, watched him live a few times at charlton this season and for even for them you know who they were playing kind of defensive rear guard football he was just an incredible player in terms of the game itself, how do you expect it to unfold? I'm not really in the business of asking for predictions. Feel free to give one if you want, but how do, I'm more interested in how you think the game will, will sort of unfold from a tactical point of view.
4: Well, I think Swansea have a couple of weaknesses that I'm sure the Leeds analytical department would have identified. Um, one of those being our left-hand side in defence. Jake Bidwell, whilst being an excellent, excellent professional, he is the weak link in the side. I have no doubt that Leeds will probably look to penetrate on this side more often than the other. They'll most likely look to create a three versus two overload on Bidwell on the left centre back. And it will be kind of interesting to see how we react to that. Um, How you do this There's a couple of ways. You got the positional rotations of all of your front players, but go back to the 4-0 win you had against Hull at the end of February and you had Stewart Dallas, the left back, charging up the right wing to create an overload there as well, which was surprising. It worked brilliantly. I'd never really seen anything like that before. Um... How we deal with that three versus two overload, we could ask uh, Conor Gallagher to drop deeper and kind of try to replicate what Cardiff did in their 2-0 victory over you by shifting two of our midfielders over to the wide area that you're looking to penetrate. So if we add two midfielders, a left-back, centre-back, that's four. It kind of outnumbers the three that you could possibly have there preventing the overload from happening obviously the problem then is that if we tried to prevent an overload by crowding the wide area you're just going to overload us in the middle so we'd also have to uh crowd the box just like cardiff did as well And then the problem for us then is that our best chance of scoring for you, against you after the set pieces is probably going to be hitting you on the counter. And by taking that defensive approach, then we'd basically be eliminating our uh, threat of the counter attacks. Everyone would be sitting so deep. So I wouldn't really be surprised if Cooper's got 0-0 in his head, even though we probably need five wins. I think 0-0 would be an excellent achievement because that's mm. just how good leads are. Yeah. Um, The other weakness of ours is probably how soft we are midfield. I think we've seen it far too many times this season where... Someone like George Byers, who I doubt will start, but then you've got Matt Grimes, who's uh, had problems with it as well, picking the ball up with his back to goal and being dispossessed when on the ball way too easy by the opposition. I think for that reason, it's a possibility we may see Leeds being more passive in their press, even though that's unlike Leeds completely, Mm. being more passive in their press when the Swansea defenders are in possession of the ball and harbouring the intention of setting press in traps when people like Grimes or Fulton receive the ball defeat. Mm. So I think if they can dispossess us in midfield, then Jake Bidwell is a common one who gets caught out of position quite a lot. So uh, if they can dispossess Grimes and Fulton, uh, not Fulton, sorry, Bidwell's in a more advanced area, then you could hurt us on that side. I think I will give a score prediction, I'd probably say 2-0 leads. Mm. But I think an early goal for us, whoever it be from a set piece or whatever, completely changes like, the dynamic mm. of the game. Mm. I think being 1-0 that probably suits us perfectly because not only do we have something to try and hold on to then but however high the Leeds defensive line was before it probably becomes higher because you're pushing to get back into the game Mm. and that sort of plays into our hands there because we're looking to hit you on the counter attack
1: well ben i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i feel much more enlightened about about swansea so thank you for that if any of our listeners want to follow you on social media how should they go about doing that
4: you can find me on twitter my twitter handle being jack army underscore if you're interested in knowing what's going on with swansea at the moment i'm pretty good with that sort of thing so uh yeah give me a follow if you'd like
1: well thank you very much i hope you enjoy the game on sunday
4: you too mate thank you for having me
1: so that was ben church swansea fan guys what did you make of that i think he
2: was great i think it was interesting where he was saying that he wasn't so sure uh what formation they would end up playing uh and then I happened to look at his Twitter feed yesterday after um after they uh they had a good win yesterday and they played uh three five two uh and yeah, I think uh I maybe would have feared that a little bit more um but then tonight we've just dismantled a team playing with three centre-backs um so I'm uh, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out I wonder whether um they will analyse our game from tonight and think twice about about playing that formation
3: the only thing I'd say there is like anecdotally um, and, and this may or may not be backed up by the stats it feels to me that we have struggled against playing 3-5-2 in particular rather than you know with three centre backs and two strikers that does seem to be a combination that we have struggled with that might not be true like that that's that's you know completely from my memory
1: hmm. which is not it's not what Stoke did tonight yeah no agree. And, and obviously Luton played 352 and and we struggled against that
2: but but did we really though we struggled in the first half but we did not struggle in the second half against Luton we just struggled to put the ball in the net
1: yeah and well and I don't even think we struggled in that respect in the, in the first half really I think we we gave up some silly possession I think we in, labored in, you know, on the ball tacky. Yeah I I suspect so but I think I also think that we play in a savvy way, I mean, there's you could make that same argument about tonight that we laboured on the ball at times, and and Leeds fans understandably want us to transition quickly, and we don't transition quickly, and the reason why we don't transition quickly is because for us, transition transitioning isn't trying to get into into the opposition box. As quickly as possible. It's about maintaining possession, I think. So we're we're very very risk averse. I think Bielsa would rather we kept possession of the ball and then slowly worked it to the edge of the penalty area than getting there quickly and then just losing it. Um, so this is as much about getting the ball and the team down the field as much as just the ball down the field. So I think there's yeah. there's that to say. And look, three five two is a formation, right? A formation isn't interesting really until you add the tactics on top. So you could play a three five two with a high line. You could play a back three with a high line which is what yeah. happened today um, if Swansea sit deep then that won't be an issue in terms yeah. of um, in terms of what we're trying to achieve and the question is going to be again trying to stop them from decompressing and and causing us problems on the break but I, I again you know that and this is something I think that Ben says he's like this is what you do you try and break up the play in the wide areas but if you break up play in the wide areas against Leeds you then they'll just re- reroute them, their way through the middle uh, and then he was saying and obviously you're going to so you have to sit a little bit deeper and he said but by sitting deeper you then can't catch people on the counter-attack let's let's not forget that Luton literally scored from their only counter-attack yeah um, they had two shots from a corner sequence I think and then they they had that one Harry Cornet counter-attack and that was that was it you know this is the this is what we're talking about I mean obviously they weren't trying to score after that but at the same time that, I mean that Harry Cornet goal was what around the 55th, 60th minute. Um, that was the first counterattack they got in the whole, that was their, that was their tactic for that time period roughly. And they only managed one of it. So if Swansea do sit in a three, five, two and do sit deep, we've just got to, we've just got to have the faith that we, you know, we, we aren't going to be under a huge amount of defensive pressure. And it's going to be again, just being on the front foot and trying to break down a, a a deep lying, well, a block of five and five and four probably is, is what it will end up being. Um, but I've not watched the Swansea um, game from yesterday. I'm going to go and do that now because I'm going to put out a tactics thread tomorrow. So I need to have watched their their three five two before I can really say. No anything. rest for the wicked, John. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, tell me yeah. about it. I cannot wait for this season to be over for a number of reasons. But I, yeah, I think I, I do not really want to comment too much on what they do um, until then. But um, has anyone got anything else that they wanted to say about the Josh. about the Swansea game?
2: I thought it was nice uh, to hear Ben um, acknowledge how how they won <laughs> against us last time and <laughs> that that they got extraordinarily lucky um yeah. that we missed a lot of chances on on that day and they took pretty much the only one that they had and it wasn't even a good chance and it, yeah they, they did obviously play in uh at ellen road they played very deep and they basically tried I remember because i remember writing about it cooper talked about saying our I picked a team where I felt like every single player could take somebody on. So he tried to have, I think it was Mike van der Horn basically dribble the ball out from the back despite uh, our press because that's how they felt they could beat our press. I'd be interested to see whether they would do that again. Mm.
3: Yeah, for sure. One more thing I, I was going to say, I, I think um, just from hearing what you've been saying, I was possibly conflating two separate ideas there that I think we have struggled against two strikers, i.e. against Preston, and we've also struggled against a back three defensive teams. So maybe mm. I was being a bit simplistic in saying we struggle against a, a, a three five two. I think it's more that we have struggled against those two things in different ways. Yeah. And yeah. It, it it doesn't necessarily mean we will struggle against a 3 5 because mm. I'd
1: yeah, I think I think it's important to, to say that you know a back three generally a back three is going to be uh, a little bit tighter especially when we're playing one striker you know you're literally you're, you're giving two center backs the responsibility of well yeah marking the, the one striker and then the the other center back sweeping in behind or, or whatever. Um, and again, you know, if you play a back three, the the likelihood is that you are going to sit back. So it just depends what they do with it, really. Um, and I will be surprised if two they've played two games in a row with with a back three. I've just looked at the uh, um, the FOTMob, um lineup for them, and it reckons they played three four three yesterday. I don't think that's true. Um, they've got Conor Gallagher as a sort of outside wide player but I, I'll, I'm, I'm sure they played 3-5-2 but I, you know I am I would be surprised if they can seamlessly switch to a 3-5-2 against a team like Leeds where we've been playing the the tactics that we've been playing the whole season and and then have and them cause us any problems as a result of that I suspect that them switching to that formation late on in the game is going to be worse for them than it is for us I think as well every time this season when you know teams
3: have been playing an expansive interesting style and they've come and tried to do it against Leeds they've they've failed miserably Hmm. the teams that have had success against us are the teams who have changed their style to counter us aren't
1: they so yeah I think that's that's very true and you know the teams that have have had success against us have been the teams who've not tried to be tactically interesting they've just tried to be defensively sound they've set themselves up in structures and they've and they've done their best to decompress um and and if swansea do that well they they may get something out of the game they've got some very good players um they've got Ryan Brewster who we all know about they've got Conor Gallagher who you know could cause us problems in build up play because he's just a pressing machine um and they've got they've got solid solid defenders i think i think you know it, it it's the same with all of our games you know we are we go into this game as the favourites um and the opposition will try and um and and do what they can to 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 change that but Regardless, they will. We will always be the favourites, and you only win against Leeds if you have a a large helping of luck. That's been the, the the reality this season. Right, time for us to to go and lie in bed and think about Pablo Hernandez's goal. <laughs> I suppose
2: I might not sleep tonight. I'm I'm just going to be
1: too too will Be pacing around the bedroom. <laughs> mm. be just the the usual housekeeping stuff. Then we'll be back. I think on i actually don't know but either sunday (laughs) night or sunday afternoon or monday morning hopefully i should say that we've already mentioned the patreon channel but if you uh do like our stuff and you do want to get more content then we are on patreon and we are happy to announce that we have, have been become an ambassador of 23 the data visualization company and that means that we will have a lot more data visualization going up on our channels, and I hope we will be able to put more of that stuff just up for our patrons. So, our patrons, sorry. So, if you do have any play that you want us to scout, do get in touch, and we'll we'll be able to put some stuff up there. But to do that, you will have to sign up to our Patreon channel. There are various tiers that you can sign up to, um, and for the cost of a cup of coffee, as they say, you can have access to most of our content on there. Three people who have done that this week are. Lester Robson Tom Marsden and Liam Horsley so thank you guys good to have you on board uh, but if you are interested in seeing what goes on on our Patreon channel just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and all that's left for me to do then is to say thank you to Tom thank you and thank you to Josh cheers guys and we'll see you after a hopefully good result against Swansea Leads, Leads, Leads <laughs>